0: Hello listening friend, welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good and the true, heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. Dear friend, what is the one thing that all of us cannot live without? You may be surprised to discover the answer. In just a moment, I will bring a message from Mark chapter 2, revealing the one thing we cannot live without. But first, listen to the music before we hear from God's Word. Our scripture today is Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And Jesus was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, They removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately and picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. What is mankind's deepest need? Free food, unlimited wealth, jobs for all, Stopping the build-up of weapons of mass destruction? Some people argue that man's deepest need is preventing global warming. Others claim man's deepest need is to eradicate world poverty. But among all the problems humanity faces, what is our deepest need? Mankind's deepest need is to experience the forgiving love of God. Because love is forgiving— And love is for giving. Guilt is the source of sorrow, said an English dramatist, the avenging fiend that follows us behind with whips and stings. Guilt upon the conscience, writes Robert South, is like rust upon iron, both defiling it and consuming it. There is not a single person alive who is not free of the regret of the past, We all fight the same battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Some of you are deeply burdened today with the weight of sin oppressing you. You want not pious platitudes, but relief and forgiveness. The truth is that man is a sinner by nature, by choice, and by practice. Therefore, his greatest need is forgiveness. Unleash your imagination for a moment as we travel to Judea and watch Jesus Christ dealing with a paralytic man at his deepest level of need. From our gospel passage leaps the truth which makes the Bible real and relevant. Jesus Christ satisfies man's deepest need with his gift of forgiveness. It is mid-morning outside Capernaum and you are trudging slowly along toward the marketplace. Suddenly up ahead a man comes running. It's Jesus, he cries. Jesus, the miracle worker, has come back. Jesus, mutters a man walking beside you. Who's Jesus? We don't need another miracle worker. We want bread to eat. Will he give us bread? Passing within the city gates, You are tempted to follow the others to the marketplace, but no, something stirs within you. Jesus. There's something unique and wonderful about Jesus. Moments later, you find yourself in the middle of a growing crowd outside the door of Simon Peter's house where Jesus is staying. Mark unfolds the movement of this story in three distinct panels a persistent faith, a personal forgiveness, and a proven authority. In verses 1 to 4 of our passage, we see first a persistent faith. Jesus was teaching an overflow crowd that morning. Peter's small house was jammed to overflowing, and people vied for the remaining window seats and climbed up on top of one another to get a look at Jesus. Soon the house was filled, and the crowd spilled out into the street when the interruption occurred. Along the road came four men carrying a paralytic man on a litter. Having heard Jesus was in the city, the paralytic begged his friends for help to bring him to Jesus. Imagine the disappointment on the sick man's haggard face and weary eyes as they got to the edge of the crowd and saw there was no way to get near Jesus. But the man's friends were resourceful and would not be intimidated. They made their way around the edge of the crowd and up the stairs to the rooftop. Peter's house, like other houses in Capernaum, had a very low roof, reached by a staircase from the outer courtyard. The roof itself was built of thick beams, about three feet apart across which short sticks were laid close together and covered with thickly matted branches. On top of all this came a deep layer of tightly packed earth. Why take all the trouble to carry the palsied man up the stairs and laboriously dig a hole in another man's roof to let the man down in front of Jesus? Imagine the mess that needed to be cleaned up, not only on the rooftop, but inside the house as well what would Peter's wife think? The paralytic and his four friends had every reason to turn back home and forget about a meeting with Jesus. But their persistent faith is the lesson learned from the first part of this narrative. As Alexander McLaren says, We cannot is the coward's word. We must is the earnest man's. If we sense our need to get to Christ, it is not a crowd at the door that will keep us back. Difficulties test and therefore increase our faith. What a contrast we see between the paralytic and his friends and the proud heresy-hunting Pharisees and religious doctors of the law. Too superior to mix with a crowd of mere peasants— They were waiting nearby in self-righteous satisfaction, hoping to snare the Savior and catch him in a transgression. These caustic critics had eagle eyes for detecting faults, but they were blind as a bat to the authority, power, and compassion of Jesus. They were too proud and self-sufficient to sense a need for the Savior. They had no inner yearning to cry out for His grace and receive His forgiveness. By contrast, the paralytic knew his need, and he was determined to get to Christ at any cost and by any road. Are you conscious of your need for Jesus and His gift of forgiveness? To truly believe that through the cross, God has forgiven our sins and continues to forgive us through Christ demands a persistent faith, a faith which looks beyond our sinfulness and lays hold of the infinite mercy and love of God. The hymn writer Horatius Bonar was a devout Scottish minister. In 1886, he understood the need for a persistent faith. As he daily repented of his sins and received God's forgiveness, he wrote, No, not despairingly come I to thee. No, not distrustingly bend I the knee. Sin hath gone over me, yet this is still my plea. Jesus hath died. Lord, I confess to thee sadly my sin. All I am tell I thee, all I have been. Purge thou my sin away, wash thou my soul this day. Lord, make me clean. Let's continue our lesson. In God's Word, the Scriptures, we read If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus Christ the Lord does satisfy our deepest need with His gift of forgiveness. Do you believe Him? Will you trust His promise? The second panel in our gospel story is verses 5 to 9 of our text. The persistent faith shown by the paralytic and his friends in verses 1 to 4 results in a personal forgiveness in verses 5 to 9. Watch Jesus' method of dealing with this man. Jesus says in verse 5, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son... And walk. The sick man is slowly lowered through the roof until he comes to rest at the master's feet. The initial commotion caused by the breaking up of the roof has subsided, and the buzzing crowd grows silent and watchful. The troubled man raises his eyes to Jesus. Jesus' eyes meet his, and he is held by his loving gaze. Child, says Jesus, take courage. Your sins are forgiven. His pronouncement seems so inappropriate, so irrelevant to the immediate situation. Why not simply heal the man, thereby demonstrating his power? Verse 5 becomes intelligible only against the backdrop of the Old Testament where sin and disease, forgiveness and healing are integrally connected. Who that was innocent ever perished demanded Eliphaz in Job chapter 4, verse 7. The rabbis in Jesus' day had a saying, There is no sick man healed of his sickness until all his sins have been forgiven. To understand Jesus' words, we need a little background information. For the Jews, a sick man was a man with whom God was angry, no exceptions. Although some illness is due to sin, it is also true that often sickness is not due to the sin of the sick person himself, but to the sins of others, or the result of the entrance of sin into the world back in Genesis chapter 3. Apparently, in the paralytic's case, his disease was the result of his sin, or Christ's words would be meaningless. Jesus was dealing with a needy man, on a deep and intimate level. He formed his answer to meet the man's deepest need at the very root of his misery. As Jesus held the man's gaze, he looked through his eyes and into his heart. There he detected the consequences of a burden far worse than palsy. Jesus cured the guilty conscience before he healed the diseased body. His two statements are significant. The first word, according to Matthew, was take courage, child, or as one translation states, cheer up. Now, how could Jesus say such a thing? Cheer up, take courage. The sick man is trembling with weakness. He is haunted with fear and anxiety over his sins, and Jesus says, cheer up. To understand the full thrust of Jesus' words, we need to realize that there are two Greek words for courage. The one word means, master your fear, get up, be strong, and act in the face of fear. The other Greek word means, be courageous and cheerful because there is nothing to fear. The very ground of your fear is removed, therefore you have reason for courage. It was this latter word which Jesus used, saying in effect to the man, My child, there is nothing to be afraid of. The ground of your fear is gone. Banish fear and anxiety and be of good courage. We can imagine the man saying to himself, Nothing to be afraid of? I am ruined. My body is wasted with disease. I'm guilty of countless sins, and I shouldn't be afraid? No, my child, says Jesus, your sins are forgiven. They have been put away, dismissed, canceled, and forgotten. How desperately some of us need to hear Jesus' voice as he looks into our eyes and speaks the same comforting words My child, for whom I gave my life. Take courage. Do not be afraid. Your sins are forgiven. A persistent faith results in a personal forgiveness. But by whom? Look at verse 7 in the passage. Who is this man who speaks this way? He is blaspheming for who can forgive sins but God alone. Who can forgive sins? Only a proven authority. Watch the progression. A persistent faith results in a personal forgiveness by a proven authority, God himself. Now we can hear the inner snarl of the Jewish leaders as they debate within their hearts. Forgiveness is the prerogative of God alone. Who is this man who claims to forgive sins? He is blaspheming. Away with him. Had the Pharisees and scribes been thinking, the very fact that Jesus perceived their unspoken criticisms and answered them should have been enough to convince them that he was God. But pride and jealousy had so blinded their hearts that they couldn't see or accept what was so obvious to everyone else in the crowd that day. Jesus recognized the challenge of the Pharisees and met them on their own ground. Which is easier to say to this man, he asked them, Your sins are forgiven? Or, Rise, take up your pallet and walk? Any charlatan or religious magic worker could say, Your sins are forgiven, with no possibility of ever demonstrating whether his words were true or not. That kind of statement can't be verified. Anyone can assume powers which can't be tested. So Jesus says, in effect, You say that I have no right to forgive sins? You hold as a matter of belief that a sinner can't be cured until his sins are forgiven. Very well, I will prove my power to forgive by my power to heal. And immediately Jesus gave the command, and the man was instantly healed. The conclusion for the Pharisees was inescapable and left them in an unspeakable rage. Since the paralytic was cured, he must be forgiven, therefore Jesus must be God. Both of Jesus' acts were divine. The one which could be verified by sight established the reality of the one which could not be. Why can Jesus satisfy man's deepest need with his gift of forgiveness? Because he is a proven authority. Jesus Christ is Lord and God. Some of my friends are educated secular humanists who have unfortunately bought into the misguided idea that all world religions have their own contribution to truth and ultimately all paths lead to the knowledge of the true God. One time I was speaking with one of these friends and said, Mary... The reason I am convinced of the truth of Jesus Christ is because he, among all the founders of all the world religions, is a proven authority. Jesus healed the sick. He made blind eyes see, deaf ears hear, and lame people walk. He rose from the dead on the third day and was seen by over 500 witnesses in several different places. Christianity is credible because Jesus gives us historical, objective, verifiable proof of his divinity and authority. He backs up his verbal claims with solid, incontrovertible action. Jesus always delivers what he promises. Perhaps you need to do business with Jesus Christ in this whole matter of forgiveness. Some of you have been swallowed alive by your circumstances. You feel oppressed, guilty, overused, underdeveloped. You're overwhelmed with remorse over sins committed in the past. You may live with memories of an illicit relationship, a terrible habit, or a dishonest business transaction. Satan whispers in your ear, You're through. Finished. You are useless and forgotten. If you love and trust Jesus Christ, don't believe that lie. That is a carefully calculated piece of deceit designed by the devil, which the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has destroyed. Get up. Repent of your sins. Lay hold of the promise of God's forgiveness and move forward trusting in him. Friends, God's forgiveness is complete. Micah chapter 7 says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. I like the way Corey Ten Boom puts this verse. When God forgives, he forgets. He buries our sins in the sea of his forgetfulness and puts a sign on the bank, No Fishing Allowed. Some of you may, like the paralytic, need to receive Jesus' initial gift of forgiveness for your sins. Perhaps you understand for the first time that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for you and offers reconciliation and forgiveness if you will only repent and trust in Him. Will you turn away from your sins and believe upon Jesus? Christian, follower of Christ, if you are struggling with guilt over a past sin, God's word to you is this, Stop fishing and start trusting. Lay your sins at the foot of the cross of Christ and believe that he died to forgive you. If you truly repent from your heart and mourn over your sins, then you are forgiven by God. Listen to the words of the wonderful hymn, Marvelous Grace. Marvelous Grace of our loving Lord, Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin dark is the stain that we cannot hide what can avail to wash it away look there is flowing a crimson tide whiter than snow you may be today grace grace god's grace grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace grace god's grace grace that is greater than all our sin. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of forgiveness to meet our deepest need. We ask that you will give us a persistent faith which produces a personal forgiveness by a proven authority and we pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ our savior amen you've been listening to exaltation on the voice of hope radio broadcast i'm father david masterson with godet ministries you may reach us on the web at godetministries.org that's g a u d e t e ministries.org This program, Exaltation, is designed to encourage you. Please get in touch with us by going to our website and clicking on the contact link, contact at at godatministries.org. We want to pray for you and support you in any way possible. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Have you not known? Have you not heard? They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint.